Some of you may know a phrase made famous by Bill Cosby, the humorist, who said in one of his monologues on Noah, How long can you tread water? I know I can't tread water very long. My arms grow weak. I am not a great swimmer. And when I quit treading water, I just drop like a stone. But then I kind of bounce back up just a little bit until the water is just over the top of my head. So I'm one of those who would need to tread water for a long time. And that little storyline that Bill Cosby used was part of a, a monologue that he gave about Noah and the building of the ark and the flood that came upon the earth. I'd like us to read the scriptures from the handout I gave you because they describe that monumental event, that cataclysmic event that occurred centuries ago and it's described for us in the book of Genesis and then we will examine some of these words that we find here and how they would fit for us. Reading from Genesis chapter 6 verses 9 to 22. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds, and of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded. That passage gives to us a clear description of the conditions of the earth at that time. In another passage just prior to this, in fact, God said 
that he observed that the thoughts and the intents of their hearts was only evil continuously. The wickedness of man had spread throughout all of the earth. And the scriptures tell us that only Noah stood before God righteous. And when God looked at the earth and saw how wicked it had become, he decided to destroy it and to bring judgment upon them for their sin and to take their lives because they had made a mockery of him and had rejected him as God. We describe here, we see described here God's conversation with Noah, how he would spare his family. Judgment would come upon all of the earth except for Noah and his family. And he describes for them here how they would find security and safety from the judgment that God would bring upon the rest of the world. He said, build an ark. Build an ark. What's an ark? They had no knowledge of that day what an ark was. It had never rained, in fact, prior to this time. They didn't know what rain meant. God said to Noah, build an ark. And then he gave descriptions. He said, I want it 300 cubits long. Well, we don't use measurements in cubits in our day. We use inches and feet in our land. That's the equivalent of 450 feet. That's longer than this room, (laughs) obviously. That's huge. If you have any familiarity with a football field, it's one and a half football fields long. And then it says to be how many cubits wide? Fifty cubits wide. That's the equivalent of 75 feet wide. A football field is 50 yards wide. So that the ark was one and a half times the size of a football field, both in length and in width. 45 feet tall is the measurement of the cubits. That's how many stories of an office building? Well, if you figure maybe 10 feet to a floor, by the time you figure the flooring and the mechanicals that go in the ceilings and everything is maybe 10 feet to a floor, that's 45 stories tall. That, my friends, describes a huge boat. And he covered it with pitch inside and outside to protect it from the water so that it would float. No steering mechanism, no captain's wheel, no rudder. It would float on the water. God made provision for Noah and his family his three sons and their four wives made provision for them and then he brought in as well a number of animals that when the flood dissipated they could replenish the earth once again in essence this describes a second creation a destruction of the first that God might have a second creation starting with Noah and his family this time the ark a huge boat God's provision for Noah and his family 
a protection for them against the judgment that he brought to the rest of the world. A place of security, a place of safety, a place of salvation in the ark, safe and secure from the judgments that God brought upon the rest of the world for its sin and its iniquity and its wickedness. They must go into the ark. Outside of the ark, they would endure and experience God's judgment. Inside the ark, they would have safety and salvation and protection. We find described for us this picture of the ark and its purpose in the lives of Noah and his family. That's the second passage I have listed for you there from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse number 7. It says this, By faith, Noah, boy did that take a lot of faith. Build an ark. Why? What's an ark? What are we going to do? What's going to happen? I'm going to bring a flood upon the earth. What's a flood? He didn't know any of those things. But he believed God. He trusted God in spite of how it might appear to him as foolish and certainly foolish to the rest of the world about him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah believed God. It sounded foolish. It went against everything that he had experienced and knew about the earth and about life on the earth. He had no knowledge of building an ark. He couldn't learn the trade from his father or anyone else on the earth. He had to commune with God and God taught him and explained to him how to build the ark great was the faith of Noah to trust God in spite of everything within him that would cry out and say this is foolish this is stupid there certainly must be a better way than this why not just climb up to the highest mountains no God had told him build the ark The ark will become for you your place of salvation. Trust me. Trust the ark. Go into the ark. And in fact, we read in the earlier passage in Genesis 6.18, it says, come into the ark. You notice he didn't say, go into the ark. He said, come into the ark. Well, when we use that phrase, come in, Where do we stand in relation to the one we address? We're inside. They're outside. Come in. Come into our house. Come into our home. Come into the car. Come with me as we walk. God was identifying to Noah that his presence he would find in the ark. Come into the ark. 
There you will find protection. There you will find salvation from all of the judgment that I will bring upon the earth. And Noah believed God. Now think for a moment. Building a boat of this size would take some time. You don't build that in a day or a month or a year even. God said he would give the people on the earth 120 years to turn from their wickedness and respond to the righteous preaching of Noah. We find described in 2 Peter 2.5 another passage I've printed for you there. That description of Noah. He said, He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought the flood upon the ungodly. For 120 years, Noah preached to those about him as he built the ark. Certainly he must have endured great mockery at their hands, calling him foolish, Condemning him for building an ark? No, why are you building an ark? Well, there's a flood coming. What's a flood? God says he's going to destroy all things that have breath in them. Ah, I don't believe you. We've never had rain before. What's a flood? We've never had a flood. For 120 years, they heard Noah preach righteousness to them. And for 120 years, they rejected all of the pleadings of Noah. We find recorded, in fact, in the verse Matthew 24, 38 and 39, the sad end of those who rejected the pleadings of Noah. In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Sounds like everyday life, doesn't it? No change. Eat, drink, and be merry. Until the day when Noah entered the ark. When Noah went into the ark, the scriptures tell us that God closed the door. I don't have that printed for us. That's in Genesis chapter 7. You'll read that. It says, God closed the door. And it began to rain. And it says the fountains of the deep were opened up. All of those water tables under the earth. And the firmament above in the rain. And it rained. And it rained. And it rained. Forty days and forty nights. Can you imagine the pleadings of the people? As it began to rain? We believe you, Noah. We believe you now. Open the door. Let us in. I can't open the door. God closed it. And besides, if I were to open the door, it would allow the waters to come in and we would all perish. No, you had your chance. 120 years worth of time. And you rejected the message. And I'm sure they must have heard the cries and the pleadings and the sadness of life going as the flood continued those in the ark saved 
those outside the ark destroyed and lost. Why do you think God would move Moses to record these events and pass them on to the children of Israel? I can suggest a couple of reasons for you. One, Moses wrote these books of the Bible as the children of Israel traveled from Egypt to the promised land, 40 years in the wilderness. During that time, Moses wrote down these records that God gave to him. And one thing they reveal to us is the character of God. God is holy. He cannot stand the vision of sin. The scriptures tell us he cannot look upon evil. He is pure, absolutely spotless. In great contrast to the conditions of the world at the time of the flood that had become so wicked, filled with sin and iniquity. Part of the character of God then is his wrath and judgment against sin. We don't think about that very often, do we? We like to think about God as a God of love and kindness. And yes, He is. He is a God of great love, great compassion, great mercy, and grace. But we, at our own peril, forget that God is a God of justice and a God of wrath. And he doesn't always strive with man. In fact, that's where that phrase comes from, is this setting. Earlier in Genesis 6, he says, My spirit will not always strive with man. I'll give him 120 years. And we think that God will strive with us continuously and never stop. No. There can come a day when your rejections of him will cause him to close the door the character and nature of God he's a just God he is also a God of grace in grace he provided the ark for Noah and his family for their salvation that was grace that was mercy and he demonstrated it in their lives God wanted the children of Israel to have a glimpse, a further revelation as to his character and nature. So he instructed Moses to write the record that they might have a picture of God's character and nature. Furthermore, he wanted to prepare the children of Israel for their entrance into the promised land, for what awaited them on the other side of the Jordan River a land filled with wickedness and evil just like the land that God destroyed with the flood. And God sent the children of Israel into that land where they would encounter evil and wickedness of the people that inhabited that land before they entered. And God wanted His judgment to come upon those people because He had striven with them for many years 
and they had rejected him just like the people in Noah's day. And God would bring judgment upon them, but the children of Israel, as they remained faithful and trusting in God, they would experience God's goodness. And we find that recorded in Scripture as well. And God wanted to prepare His people and to give them a a glimpse into His character and to His nature. And so God moved upon Noah to record these Scriptures that they might have instruction and warning for their lives that yet awaited them as they would enter into the promised land. What connection do these events have with the Lord Jesus and God's plan of redemption? The book of Genesis gives to us a book of beginnings. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created man. In the beginning, God started the Sabbath. On the seventh day, He rested. In the beginning, God instituted marriage between a man and a woman that He brought together that they might encourage and help one another. In the beginning, God manifested Himself to His creation. He walked with them. He fellowshiped with them. They talked with Him. They knew Him intimately. They experienced His glorious manifest presence in the garden in Eden. They knew Him. Uh, But Genesis is also the beginning of sin. For Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate of the forbidden fruit and sin entered their lives and forever changed humanity. We sin today because we inherited that same sinful nature that afflicted Adam and Eve when they disobeyed God. God again showed himself a God of grace and of mercy because he promised to Adam and Eve when he confronted them with their sin, I will send the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent, the very first promise of a Savior. And the rest of Scripture gives to us an unfolding, progressive revelation of that first promise. And the scriptures give to us a detailed prophetic insight into the character and identification of this person who would come and would crush the head of the serpent. It finds its culmination in the Lord Jesus. In the fullness of time, the scriptures tell us God sent forth his Son, made of a woman the seed of a woman who came and in his life and in his death and in his resurrection crushed the head of the serpent and destroyed him who has the power of death even the devil 
So how does the ark fit into this? The ark gives to us a picture of the Savior. For it was the ark, inside the ark, trusting the ark, placing their lives into the ark, where they found salvation from the judgment of God that he brought upon the wicked. The ark gives to us a picture of Jesus, the Savior. And the scriptures tell us, just like the ark was the only place of safety, Jesus Christ is the only place of salvation. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is no other name given among men on earth whereby we must be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The ark gives to us a graphic picture of Jesus the Savior. For it's in Christ and trusting in Him that we today in the midst of our wickedness and sinfulness, find salvation from the judgment that we deserve because of our sin. The connection between the ark and Christ gives us a picture of our ark, the one to whom we can flee, the one whom we can trust, to find salvation from sin and wickedness that inhabits all of us. Well, what conclusions can we draw from these events and these truths as we've examined them? We too can have a picture of God. We see a description here of God's character and nature and we see it amplified and further explained throughout the rest of Scripture. God is a holy God. God is a God of justice and wrath upon those who reject Him. We also find that God is a God of grace and a God of mercy. A God who provides salvation for those who will trust Him. And we find those truths repeated and repeated throughout all of Scripture. We also can see and conclude a description of who we are without Christ. Hopeless, sinful, wicked, incapable of saving ourselves. Nothing that we can do to reconcile us back to God. We need a Savior. We must have a Savior who can save us from our sin. That's Jesus, the ark. The scriptures provide for us a picture of a Savior. The one whom God has provided for us the Savior, the one to whom we can go and we can trust Him. He Himself said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest.
Jesus said, come to me. And that verse that you no doubt learned as a youngster in Sunday school or vacation Bible school or somewhere along in your life you learned John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The scriptures give us a picture and these events provide for us a picture of our need of a Savior and God's provision of that Savior in Jesus Christ, the only one in whom we can find salvation. How will you respond? How do you respond to these events and to these records that we have read and examined from the scriptures in the book of Genesis and in Hebrews and in Peter? Well, for some of you, they would cause you to rejoice because you would say, I have found that ark. I have come to that ark. I have trusted that ark that God has provided in our day. Not the boat that floated on the water in Noah's day. That was just a picture. But you have come to experience the salvation that the ark, the ultimate ark, Jesus Christ provides to all who come to him in faith. He rejects none. For some of you, perhaps, it's rejection. Who could believe a story like that? That's a bunch of foolishness. I don't believe it. It doesn't make sense. It goes against all kinds of human reasoning. I don't believe it. They didn't believe it in that day either. Until it was too late. You could also relegate it to tomorrow and say, Well, you know, that's really been kind of interesting. I've kind of followed the story and I, and I see how they kind of fit the ark and Jesus and the similarities and I, I, I kind of grasp what's being said. But you know, I, I, I think I'll think about it a little bit more tomorrow. Tomorrow. That is the greatest successful trick of the devil known to man. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. I will do that tomorrow. I will change my lifestyle tomorrow. I will do, and we have a long list of things that we will do tomorrow. The scriptures say today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to call upon the Lord. You don't have certainty of tomorrow. You only have certainty of right now. I left for emphasis that last verse because I want to use it as a warning to us and a reminder to us. Jesus was describing the times before he would return. This passage is taken from that account. And he's reminding the people and he's saying to them, I want to remind you that my coming again will be just like the days of Noah. 
just like it occurred then. They were eating and drinking, being merry, giving in marriage until the day that I closed the door. And he said, so will it be when I return. Life will go on just like it is now for who knows how much longer. We don't know. But you don't know when that day will come for you. When that door will close. And the opportunity lost. I would encourage you, if you have not yet fled to the ark, Jesus Christ, the Savior whom God has provided for sinners like you and like me, then I call upon you to trust Him today. Flee to Him today. Find in Him the salvation and the comfort and the peace that He promised to all who would come to Him. I pray that the Spirit of God will bring that about in your life's experience today. And that you will begin to experience His glorious manifest presence in your life and in the events and affairs of your activities the rest of your life that God has planned for you. Let's close in prayer, shall we?